gentlemen, this is the Hoopers Podcast. I am your host, president of the Hoopers, headband warrior, Ben Roberts. And my guests today, fellas who both go by... I always stumble over when I'm doing the three-way podcast. I never know how to introduce it. Uh, one's a fellow who goes by many na- names, Harry... Uh, what are your nicknames? What are your other names? Uh, ha- Harold, I guess. Sawn is one. No, it's not. Yeah, yeah, that was my my nickname. I've never heard anyone from my call school you friends. Yeah, I feel like people did on the stag, didn't they? Call you Sawn. But you were just sitting there going, "Who, who is that?" I don't like that <laughs> nickname at all. That's a very it's unimaginative, isn't it? It doesn't mm-hmm. catch well, anything. Ch- it can about be changed you. to Sawno or you know something something along those lines. Sauna. Sauna, yeah, it means something else, doesn't it? Sauna would be better, yeah, but it's supposed to mean something like hot, <laughs> other than yeah. really hot, steamy, that why? Yeah, yeah. yeah, or wooden. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> well, yeah. okay, well, it's Harry Dylan Saunders, mm-hmm. and then the other guest, uh, fella, goes by many names, K, K. Yeah, yeah, it's a letter. K stacks, I call you sometimes. That, that, yeah, as I in, like that. As in giant haystacks of wrestling fame. Of wrestling fame. Mm. You, you know him? I do. Yeah, not yeah. personally. I believe uh, Northern. Okay. So, and he was six foot ten. I'm not. No, in wrestling, it, uh, he went also went by the Loch Ness monster when he went over to America. Because, because you know Scotland's also north. Well, because the Loch Ness monster is seen as like a big, you know, like a, uh, you know. Yeah. British thing. Yeah. Big yeah. British thing. Yeah. Americans will just take what have you seen wrestling they just call themselves like any old okay so those are the oh wait it's Kieran John Richardson that's not true Kieran Lee Richardson also incorrect Kieran Michael Richardson yeah that's the one is it yeah I guess yeah I don't know if that rings a bell really though other than that I know Michael (laughs) as a name (laughs) No, it's a nice, nice name. Right, Does it when you're in trouble? Do your parents say Kieran Michael? No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, we're not here to talk about names. We're here to talk about uh, Iran, right? Because uh, 2020 has been dominant. Is that what we're calling this year? 2020. So far, we're going to see how it works. Then. T- 2020 so far has been dominated by uh, Iran, right? Because I'm trying to, I'm trying to paint a picture for the folks who are listening to. The, I like to think this is a timeless podcast, so people will be listening to this in like 2050, and people will be going like, "Why are they talking about Iran? What, what is Iran anyway?" Because you know it might not even exist in 2050. Or it will be the only state that we all live in. Mm-hmm. Ooh, we'll get into that. Yeah. I suppose <laughs> we will. I suppose we will. Um. Yeah, so we're going to talk about Iran because it's been like in the news and stuff recently, hasn't it? And also, Iran is fascinating, but I don't want the because um, I have a very, as as you know, Harry, a very dumb fan base. So I don't want I don't want them to be like, oh, they're talking about a country I've never heard of. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to click on Love Island and see what's going on there instead. We're going to spell it out. We're going to go through it bit by bit. We're going to break down all the big words into smaller words. That are synonyms for it. Yeah. So don't worry. You know, I'm trying to think. Emir is probably sitting at home panicking, thinking he doesn't know what Iran is. I don't think I had heard of Iran until like, until I was in my teens, definitely. You know, because it wasn't big news growing. I wasn't like scared of Iran in when I was little. Yeah. But how many how many countries were you aware of 
before that. How many countries were you scared of when you were there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I think, but I only know it ran through the Iraq War, I think. That would have been my window into it. And by, by then, I But yeah. even that, if before your teens, to be aware of the kind of connection between Iran and Iraq during the first Gulf War would have been but quite like, a depth of foreign policy. I think when I was 12 or so, I like to think of myself as somewhat politically, uh, you know, d- knew the countries and stuff. <laughs> I suppose they, they also call that geography. <laughs> yeah. Other than politics. Yeah. Uh, but Iran is, uh, you know, a dangerous place. Isn't it, Kieran? I guess it can be. Do you remember when the, the the listeners will remember on a previous podcast when I referenced an argument I had about Iran, mm. and it was uh, I was saying we need to be keeping an eye on Iran, yeah, and the other person was saying they need to be monitoring that right in the editing suite now. The podcast will go, woo, 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 you know, like on <laughs> sitcoms <laughs> yeah. when they remember. <laughs> There's, you know, there's more nuance to most conversations than I hate it or I love it, and that's what. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, it's one of those like half the time these days when we're having argument. Like I was having an argument with my friend last night in the pub about. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was about the situation in Iran, right? Right, and I was saying in the blue-eyed maze. <laughs> yeah, I was saying I was saying we need to keep an eye on Iran, yeah. and he was saying like, no, we don't need to keep an eye on Iran. We need to be monitoring Iran. <laughs> And we were like screaming at each other, like, no, definitely need to be keeping an eye on. And then after like half an hour, I was thinking to myself, hang on, this is just, we just have different definitions of these And things. was one of you advocating a stronger, a stronger like approach? Or was I it guess the same approach? He was saying that keep an eye on is a way stronger approach oh, than right. monitoring. Okay. The flashback yeah, moment. Okay. Yeah. But but that was you. We were having an argument about whether we need, whether we should be keeping an eye on Iran versus. And it was more of a semantic argument. Yeah, well, as, as to the meaning of keeping an eye on, as opposed to the existential threat posed by Iran. What, but this is what you're saying now, so that you don't have to admit that I was right all along, and that we should have been keeping an eye on Iran. Well, I mean, monitoring would have done just the same thing. <laughs> oh, that's not what you were saying at the time. I think it was. Are they the same? No, they don't like. We were talking about the connotations of the phrase keeping an eye on, but in practice, we were probably asking for oh, the same so, actions. So we should have been, we should always be keeping an eye on, or I mean, monitoring. I mean, now, I guess, we have no choice. In a way, d- does it really matter whether we're keeping an eye on them or monitoring them when uh, America decides to blow up a high ranking general? Yes. Yeah, we're beyond monitoring, I think, when we're into the realms of assassination. But we might decide to do our own little, you know, one day when America's like, oh, I'm tired, Mm. or they've got some president, like uh, if Bernie or Warren get in, Mm -hmm. I can't see them really taking decisive action again. I don't want to get political on this podcast. (laughs) It's a bit late. (laughs) Too late for that. It's too late for that. But what I'm saying is... threat posed by Iran. But what I'm saying is, you know, there could be a time where America gets some kind of no, we're not doing anything under any circumstances kind of guy. And Britain needs to step in and be like, all right, we'll do, we'll do something then. Well, sure, you know I mean? I'm sure we'll get into what happened last time Britain took the lead on everything in 1953. But That's anyway. right, Harry. <laughs> I'm glad you've done your research. So let me just, uh, you know, to, like I said, break it down. Why are we talking about Iran? So I made like a tiny little timeline, right? From It starts in 2015. You know, the, the timeline goes back further than yeah, that. I, but I'm I, talking say, I think it's I think Iran started but beyond before that. Yeah, but before yeah. 2015. Years before, yeah. But I'm so, talking about so like why what has led to us talking about it. I think it starts in twenty fifteen. 
So in 2015, President Barack Obama, president of the, of the US of A, first African-American president, which is good. About time. And other UN nation state leaders struck a deal with Iran for them to cease development of nuclear weapons. So it's been a big thing of like Iran and nuclear weapons, right? So Iran are trying to develop nuclear weapons. That's where we start this. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, uh, the rest or at, of least, or at least they would claim nuclear energy. Right. Okay. So we've always been distrustful of them for reasons that we'll get into later. But then, so that was 2015. President Obama does that. Then in May 2018, President Trump, there's a new president now, a white man, he announces that the US will be withdrawing from the deal. He then imposed trade sanctions on Iran as a result of them not dropping their nuclear weapons program. So, for example, uh, Iran, I don't know why I put my notes down as if I know this off by heart. I <laughs> immediately pick With my notes flourish. straight back up. For example, I did, did you know that the Iranian, the Iranian, Iran? We would say Iranian. I feel like some of my slack-jawed listeners are always are still uh, already going, isn't it Iran? No, Court. It's Iran. So, for example, the Iranian... Iranian? Iranian. Iranian. The Iranian carpet industry employs 2 million Iranians, right? It makes up something like 30% of the global carpet market. I was, I was reading. And the U.S. is by far its biggest market. So, by the U.S. saying we're going to buy our carpets elsewhere, that creates huge problems for Iran. Right? That, that kind of thing is what I'm saying. Tr tr trying to break it down okay. bit by bit. Is that right? You, is, does that sound right? I don't know. Because this the, is just me reading the, stuff this morning. <laughs> I don't know the carpet industry that well, but it, it sounds like, there's there's sounds like reliable stuff. figures. There's also gold I was reading. We buy a lot of gold from Iran or something. Okay. And obviously oil. Yeah. We'll, that, get, that in, we'll get into that as well. Mm. So in 2019... Trump labeled Iran's military a terrorist organization because 2019 saw multiple attacks on tankers and stuff in the Gulf of Oman. Mm -hmm. Did he label the entire military? Yes. Not just the Revolutionary Guard. No, the the Iranian military. Well, it's how, that's how he referred to it. As, yeah. as yeah, yeah, true. Uh, so Iran called those attacks on tankers accidents. Uh, and in June of 2019, a U.S. drone was shot down in Iran. So this is so that's like a little bit of lead. There's like you know growing tensions. The U.S. are like, hey, what's going on here? And Iran are like, no, we didn't mean to, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Then December 27th, which is only a few weeks ago, a U.S. contractor was killed in a rocket attack on an Iraq military base, and Iran was blamed for the attack. Then on December the 31st, 2019, the Iranian protesters attacked the U.S. Embassy and Trump warned Iran that there would be consequences, but they didn't bloody listen, did they? No. So, what, so <laughs> I what, guess not. <laughs> <laughs> so what I'm, what I'm gleaning from this story is that... Um, hang on, let me just read the last point so that I can make that point. So on January the 3rd, 2020 the US attacked and killed Kasim Soleimani Kasim? 
Is that how you've heard his Kassem. name? Kassem. Kassem. I, I'm not. Kassem Soleimani. I can't say I was familiar with this guy before this happened, to be honest. Very few were. Mm. Which is the head of Iran's elite Quds force. And Iran were furious and attacked an American military base in Iraq. Uh, as a result, no casualties. So Iran, this is where we join this. So now we sit here on uh, January the 18th or whatever it is. And Iran are pretty steamed with us Western nations. Is that fair to fair to say? Yeah, I, I guess so. Just I think they're always pretty steamed with us. Mm. Justifiably so. I what mean, I, get, I guess as far as you know, assassinating someone is, is is something probably worth being a bit annoyed about. I think we would be annoyed if they assassinated <laughs> a, a, a U.S. or U.K. general. It also felt like we, we, you know, or let's say we're mainly, you would say America and Iran were in a little bit of a holding pattern um, up until that point where, I mean, it's always been slightly unclear what Trump's opinions and policy towards the Middle East is, but most people seem to think less involvement mm. and, and pulling away and, and, and a kind of not, not much interest in putting more troops on the ground or anything like that, uh, just imposing sanctions and then to you know, assassinate a high-ranking Iranian official in such a kind of bombastic way, some might say. That's what I call it, bombastic. Mm, yeah. Definitely. That's probably what Shaggy, yeah. Shaggy would say <laughs> yeah. as well. That, that yeah. is Trump. Sh- Shaggy, an ex-US soldier. That's okay. right, yeah, yeah very so. relevant. Maybe as, we should as, listen as to comes, Shaggy later. As it all comes full circle. Um, yeah, I mean, but just to not, you know, not, not do what America might usually do, which is like poison him or, you know, do something in an underhanded <laughs> way, to blow him up with a drone. Those and, Americans. Yeah, always, always poisoning always people. Always poisoning. Yeah. Oh, I hate it when oh, they I mean, poison We have no of, idea how many oh, people they poison. It is a classic. Uh, I do, obviously, I watch a lot of American murder documentaries. There's a lot more poisoning going on than we would, the, the normal person <laughs> would think. Well, so you laugh. Yeah, but, but it's you know. like... I want to say like one in five of the murder documentaries I watch is like some guy's been poisoned and obviously it turns out to be the wife. Because <laughs> who else would poison you other than what your is, wife? Or just like with too much paracetamol or something. No, like, it's always like she's found something online and that's how they catch her. Is like, oh, she's actually... Like they find out what it is and then they trace it like, oh, she's a nurse and she has access to yeah, this okay. liquid cyanide or whatever it is. Right, right. But I'm just saying that is, uh, I don't know why I'm saying this, but <laughs> Americans like to poison people. Well, that's what I was trying to say. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know. No, I don't doubt it. They also like to drone. Oh, come on. Uh, yes, they do. <laughs> no, I just... <laughs> but I guess what... <laughs> but I guess what I... What the po- I just, so, to piggyback off what Kieran was saying, so we, we as Western people... We, we as Western nations, rather, with our military forces, we're very heavy-handed. And you're kind of raising a point of, like, aren't we, you know, aren't we asking for it by being so heavy-handed? Something like that? I don't know. I don't know if I'm saying we're asking for it, but in terms of... You think they- we deserve 9-11 is what you're trying to say? <laughs> I don't think that's quite what I've said. <laughs> in terms of them being justifiably annoyed, I think if the roles were reversed, we would be... Very annoyed. The yeah. Amer- America would be but very annoyed. But so if like, wait, so if Iran drunk if like Mike, strikes, if Mike, Mike Pompeo, Pompeo had been blown up in like Canada, oh, well, then well, I, I think Iran there would wouldn't be, exist anymore. No, I'm pretty sure there would Canada be operate some sort of overwhelming force desert yeah. storm. Canada operation. is in in many ways America's Iraq. <laughs> 
And like, I, I've heard it referenced what, what, as such. Wasn't yeah. there another guy who was blown up with Soleimani? And if it was Justin Trudeau, everyone would like Canada <laughs> would just be like, "We're not going to do anything, but we're a bit upset about this." So. <laughs> oh, I forgot to write this down, but you raise a good point with the Canadian thing. Is that Iran also shot down that plane? Right? Yeah, yeah, the yeah, other yeah. Day, a couple of. Oh, it must have been a while ago yeah, now. The Canadians crossed Maybe them a up. week or two ago. Mm-hmm. But there was a big plane with lots of Canadians on it for some reason. Yeah, yeah I Why think it was mostly Iranian passengers. Yeah, it was. Oh, it most, was their own mostly Iranian So it was leaving Iran to go, go to Ukraine. Ukraine. To go yeah. to Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And then Iranians shot it down. And they said it was an accident. They, well, no, that, well, for days they denied that they shot it down. Yeah. For, for, for about almost a week. <laughs> then eventually admitted they'd shot it down in error. And yeah. now there are mass protests in Iran against this fact, you know, and against the current current leadership. Regime. There was a, there was a video I saw the other day of um, they were uh, protesting at the university in mm. in Tehran, uh, and everyone was refusing to walk across the American flag that's painted on the ground in solidarity uh. with the West. Oh, which that's was nice. uh, yeah. Well, what I mean it was it angered the uh, yeah. Ayatollah no end yeah. by all accounts, I bet, yeah, as yeah, you'd yeah. imagine. Uh, it's worth noting for our slack-jawed listeners, Tehran is the capital of Iran. Whenever you say Iran, I think of the Duran Duran I, I would song. say I think of the song, yeah. I, I, no, for years before I'd, I'd realised I'd listened to that song, I was like, well, oh, Duran Duran are really into their foreign policy. And, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then it becomes Iran, Iran so yeah, far away. But so maybe it's still about Iran, I don't know. Like, Did you know that um, Rock the Casbah was about Sharia law? No, I don't think I did. The words are Sharia don't like it. Is, is it actually? Yes. Are they the words? Yes. You, you haven't just been on Reddit no, and someone, someone's no, started No, because um, Matt thread. was doing it in the bluey, so the words were up on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> and it is Sharia. Is that not a comment more on the bluey than anyone else? No, They've I got did. the wrong... I, they, yeah, they, they've I got double checked. Yeah. <laughs> I, d- I double checked. So okay. is, isn't that pretty, uh, pretty something? I always thought it was Sharia. I thought, I thought, I thought she <laughs> sure really, not going to like I thought it. She, yeah. she really don't like it. That's what I, I thought yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah, I thought it was probably something like that. Yeah. Wow. wow. Yeah. So that's you know that's something right there. Do you want to get into the uh, history of Iran? Because oh, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> because um, you know we can talk about. So, so basically, what we're saying is, you know, America, America are on edge, and Iran are like, uh, you know, ready to fight back a little bit when they feel like they're being bullied that's kind of what it comes down to iran feel like they're being bullied right yeah i think there's, there's probably more there's probably more complexity to it than that um, oh, okay but, sorry harry god uh i'm not gonna dive into that more complexity complex than yeah. my notes i don't think so <laughs> uh but but yeah I, I think yeah i think iran probably do feel like they're being pushed around a bit mm-hmm. I feel that, like, yeah yeah for a, a, a government system or regime, depending on your mm. style. And that's because of the storied history of Iran, right? That they feel that way. Well, and e- equally the fact that they're not a superpower on the level of America. And we were talking earlier about what if America had done this to them, and, or it's the other way around. Yeah. Uh, and obviously they couldn't because the, there's no parity there in some ways. So, mm. it, yeah, it, it's just not... Yeah. It, you know, the, the, If the roles were reversed, the consequences would be much more... And, well, the, the regime has to some extent built itself and its longevity on opposition yeah. to the West and mm. Western and ideals. Some so level of insurgency. It, to, to survive at a time when it's facing protests, it can't just roll over mm. when something like this happens. But Otherwise, I hear you. And equally, the fact that they're it's probably, tool. some would say, the second highest 
ranking official in the country is blown up by a drone strike to then launch a rocket attack that kills no American troops. Mm. 17 then, concussions. Yeah, so. exactly. Which was like announced a long time yeah. afterwards. Is, is their retaliation probably shows the level at which they're able yeah. to retaliate to a certain extent. They have to do something, but they can't do much. Yeah. Because I'm looking back on the history of Iran thinking like, this isn't even a blip. You know, mm. they've gone some through some crazy yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 We get into Such as. Uh, so Iran used to be, I hesitate to say used to be called because, uh, you know, we're talking about redrawing the map every five seconds when it comes down to history. Mm. But it used to be Persia, right? Kind yeah. of. Yeah. But it, it was it, the Persian Empire. Yeah, exactly. And the, but the interesting thing about Iran is that, you know, after whatever it was, World War II, when much of the Middle East was redrawn, was it World War II or World War I? I can't remember which one. Well, we re, basically the Western nations redrew much of the Middle East sort of haphazardly, and that led to a lot of those issues. Iran has actually pr- stayed pretty stable for a Middle Eastern state in terms of its borders, which is why it doesn't really have kind of border issues and disputes. So it is compared to a lot of other Middle Eastern nations, a very old and kind of ancient country with a storied history. Absolutely. And uh, so mainly, you know, before I get into the thing, you know, if we had to give a heading for Iran as to why we should care about it, like oil, kind of, right? It's got lots of oil. Yeah. um, It's also got a pretty important strategic location. Okay, but... In Here, terms of slack-jawed listener yeah, base, come lots on. of oil, lots and, of oil, and it moves through a bit of the sea mm-hmm. that, that Iran sort of own. Yeah, no, you're learning. Right. You're learning quickly. The listener base of the Hoopers podcast. Okay, so the first Shah of Iran. What would you call a Shah? Like Emperor of Iran? King. There must have been kings before. Okay, so they kind of. So there was a military. Co- Hang on, I've explained it all in the. I've got to just. I've got to just. I've got to just trust my notes. Is what I've got to do. So the first Shah came to power during the Persian military coup of 1921, right? And his name was Reza Khan. He was a soldier who worked his way up the ranks in the Persian military, eventually becoming a commander of a big army. I'm trying to simplify it. Capturing Tehran and overthrowing the Qajar dynasty. Yeah. Who were before? I don't. I don't know anything about them. So, I'm afraid our story starts in 1921. <laughs> Whether you like it or yeah. not. Yeah. A few thousand years of history. You don't need to know that. Yeah. 1921. If you story think I'm starts. reading the background paragraph in Wikipedia, you're solely mistaken. I'm skipping <laughs> straight to the bits yeah. Yeah. that happened. That's for the prequels. So. uh so this guy Reza Khan he was named the Shah of Iran and quickly announced that this would be a one man rule meaning like it was a dictatorship basically uh, Britain played a large part in this coup Britain basically propped him up in this uh, he, they wanted I can't remember why so access to the oil it was access to the yeah, Britain essentially ran the oil business in Iran. right, right, right. Yeah, what, yes, that's once what the Anglo-Iranian oil company so became BP. Yeah, mm, Iran yeah. was kind of fa- uh, was kind of found to have oil in the late eighteen uh, hundreds or something. So then there was a big scramble for oil, and then they kind of felt that this guy could uh, give him the best access to oil because he was promising, you know, all these uh, deals and stuff like that. So, under Reza Khan, this is the first Shah, Mm. Iran invested heavily in infrastructure and attempted to modernize their image. 
The first Shah also oversaw the Women's Awakening of the 1930s in Iran, a movement which introduced women to the workplace. All this, co- so it's quite a progressive, mm. uh, you know, yeah, so far so policies. Yeah, good, yeah. by the sound of it. But apart from the lack of democracy, there's that. So, yeah, yeah, but anyway, but here, what you're overlooking is that all this caused huge clashes with more orthodox Muslim groups. I know mm. we've argued about the word so orthodox far, so today. So good, but he says. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. As long as it's God. just the bloody Muslims that are upset. <laughs> Khan was also he- very heavy-handed as a Shah, often using his military to assert domestic power over his political rivals and handing out beatings personally to his subordinates. Uh, big guy. Six foot four, big military commander. Yeah, especially back then. like The average mm-hmm. height was like five nine or something. What is it now? Still is. No, I'm sure it's uh, I'm sure it's something nice now. <laughs> As, so then this shot, you know, goes building roads and trains and shit like that uh, for for several decades, and then World War Two happens. Mm. So then, so then uh, Iran becomes like a playground, right? Because uh, Russia's up there. It's in between. Germany and Russia and also the Shah is a I'll say this in a minute but the, Sh- the Shah is a huge fan of Hitler do you read that? Well, I read the first Shah I, I read, Shah. I read that we Britain had a big part to play in getting him to abdicate yeah. in favour of the the younger and probably more interesting as we'll look at oh, yeah. uh, Shah because they wanted to use Iran to ship supplies to Russia during the war but that first Shah had brought in German companies to run the railroads mm, and they right. weren't willing to ship the supplies. Okay. Ruining my paragraph with your brilliant insight. <laughs> Jesus. So in 1941, Britain and Russia invaded Iran, angry that the Shah had let Hitler-led Germany use and even build their own train tracks to get through Iran and into Russia. As a result, the Shah fled and his son the more interesting Shah, in my opinion, Mohammad Reza Pahlavi, immediately took his place. He was very young. He's like, you know, barely 20 or mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Western forces were satisfied for him to remain because they they saw him as kind of a pushover. Mm, yeah. And they were kind of, they're looking at around thinking like, well, we can't just put Eisenhower in charge. You know, you need an Iranian, uh, someone's got to be the Iran guy. Yeah. Right? So the second Shah grew up very much in his father's shadow and was deeply afraid of his imposing father uh, who he called the scariest man who ever lived he often watched his father kick subordinates in the groin that was his move apparently <laughs> that was his go-to <laughs> yeah. thing yeah apparently he would he would make them spread their legs and just when they'd done things wrong or badly or just that was his no, hobby I'm not sure it was like just okay pun- well that was their punishment but you know whether to what extent they did something wrong. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So the second Shah believed that... Oh, no, sorry. The first Shah, he believed that showing love to his son would cause homosexuality later in life uh, and thus never showed Reza Pahlavi any affection. They both called each other Sir. His mother was a deeply superstitious woman who believed that dreams were messages from another realm. And she often personally sacrificed lambs to ward off evil spirits. 
he grew up a deeply insecure and jittery young man. So we've got all the makings here of a of a interesting great, character, a great guy. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It's like the whole the whole homosexuality thing is going on. So the picture, if you will, like a little kid who's like very like anxious for his father's affection, but his father's just sitting at the breakfast table, like kicking his servants <laughs> in the groin. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And he's just like not looking at his son and he's just like past the peas. I don't know why they're having peas for breakfast, but you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, with his father standing at six foot four inches tall, the Shah was obsessed with height. He often wore lifts in his shoes. <laughs> he boasted that Iran's mountains were taller than they were. And only... <laughs> what an odd thing to boast about. That makes any He's difference. obsessed with height. He's obsessed with height, but it doesn't have to be his own. He just wants everything taller. Yeah, no, everything just, needs to well, be just well, slightly taller. Well, he associates height with stature. But if the mountains got taller, he would be of less stature well, exactly. relative I, to them. It would make him feel smaller, would try to want to say everything else was smaller to make him taller in comparison. Unless he'd been pictured by the mountains and everyone was like, God, he's, yeah, yeah. he's small. And he went, no, actually, the mountains are really, really, really big. He should have gone back and done one of those pictures like where people are like holding up the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. 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 Look how mighty <laughs> I am, yeah. That's good. No, no, but he's, um, you know, in general, he wants to talk up Iran. He's not just talking himself up. So whenever he wants to talk Iran up, he's like, oh, yeah, and we're all really tall. Right. Even the mountains. Because he thinks of tall. Mm. Tall good. is good. Yeah, Iran's taller than everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, and he also only married tall women. Uh, he also later developed a fascination with flying because of how high he was off the ground. This guy just loved. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Right. He's such a... This is the best guy who ever lived, <laughs> in my opinion. Okay, so when he was 11, his father sent him to a, a what, he, what he called a man's education, which was abroad in Switzerland. And his first day of boarding school in Switzerland, he was beaten up by fellow pupils after berating them as he was shocked to find that people did not rise to greet him as he entered a room. It's just funny to me to think <laughs> <laughs> this kid's fun and no one rising to him, so he throws a hissy fit. Okay, he, he played football in school, but his reports note that he was timid and scared to take risks. So this is a, remember this for later, this is a coward. And he's always mm. been, because of how his father's treated him, mm-hmm. this is a reoccurring, and even in his football reports, yeah. they're saying that he's timid. They really, they really analyse them at a young age in Iran, don't well, they? This, yeah. is a, this is a man's education, Karen. <laughs> I love that flow through to the football field. Like he was <laughs> reflected of Juan Cuadrado's short loan spell at Chelsea <laughs> on, the, on the football field. This is what they're sw- Unwilling to take men on. <laughs> always looks for the easy pass inside. <laughs> and this, this Swiss uh, boarding school, it just it's like, this guy is too timid to play for our Swiss boarding school in the 1930s. Uh, so, during his time at boarding school, he made a best friend called Ernest Perron. Frenchish kind of guy. I haven't written his nationality down, but that's what I have in my head, that he's French or something. Uh, he was a very flamboyant man. Perron came to live with the Shah for decades after school ended. I want to say he stayed in Iran for the Shah's entire life leading many to speculate that the two had a homosexual relationship. So you see how the uh, the father thing mm-hmm. has come full circle and now people are accusing him to be... A, this is a, the, the thing that people spread about him later mm. after the whole Iranian revolution is that he was, he was gay. So, you know. 
But also, if you're if you're uh, befriending a, ho- a flamboyant man in the 1930s or whatever, and you come from a very conservative background, either he's a very progressive young man, or perhaps perhaps he was gay, or he's had no other friends. <laughs> Everyone else is beating him up yeah. for telling, yeah, he, them, telling them to stand up. But when he's back in Iran, he can buy his own friends. Maybe Peron just stood up and he was like, this guy gets it. But- <laughs> or, he's, or he's more likely like, this guy is the Shah. I've got a pretty easy ride yeah, if yeah, I align yeah. myself yeah. to well, this guy. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. he was just really tall. Yeah. But the- <laughs> yes. He loves that. But the Shah, but he lived with the Shah for decades. Yeah. And it, like, why? Well, like, was part of his court. Basically, or like much closer than that, like yeah. as in the, have breakfast together, mm. uh, like a friend, mm. <laughs> I guess, I guess some kind of special <laughs> friend. Yeah, yes. oh, they had is breakfast together, a breakfast in which no servants were kicked in the groin. But I'm just saying, it's not. I don't think it's outside the realms of possibility to. But I don't know what the culture is in Iran. Maybe that's like a thing of like, oh yeah, best friends live together until they're sixty. You know what I mean? And especially because he's a prince, it's hard to. It's hard to associate normal behaviour. Yeah, exactly. But uh, it also just feels like, you know, I'm not arguing one way or the other, but, like, there's going to be a lot of hangers-on hanging around a shah, you know? I feel like he would have friends live in, sort of, with him. That's not... Waking up in a palace and going downstairs and having breakfast with, like, you know, with... With With your dad that doesn't look at you. Yeah, with a dad who's kicking guys in the groin and my flamboyant friend is maybe not like the most natural thing ever but neither is being a shah so yeah you know I'm just uh, I'm struggling to picture it but mm-hmm. you know whatever so as the shah uh, this second shah championed equal rights for women and more progressive society in general uh, much like his father but this angered Muslims in Iran but I know, I know that's okay with you Kieran but that's going to lead to unrest <laughs> in Iran as a whole because it's full of Muslims I mean his like progressive tendencies more the progressivism itself more angered the sort of the clerical class and he did other stuff that annoyed other people it wasn't just that he was angering people because of religion uh, all over well I think there was a clerical class and also the um, the unskilled workers in Iran yeah. also had a strong religious they ideology. also had like a, an opposition to him because of the economy because of the economy yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but it's probably probably what came first the chicken or the egg in some ways Maybe. for them I mean they're you know it doesn't matter well it doesn't matter does it they hated him <laughs> yeah. the- they came to dislike him one yeah. day uh, but we're so, getting there so in 1951 so we're we're Getting through the years now. Yeah. And as Harry raised it earlier, that all of this is happening in order. In 1951, under immense pressure from his political arch-rival, Mohammed Mossadegh? 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 Don't know how to pronounce the name. The Shah nationalized the oil in Iran. This was to stop foreign powers, such as the United States and Britain, extracting it by bribing the Shah as they had done since the oil in Iran was discovered. Mossadegh was named Prime Minister because of his, you know, big... Uh, he was the big, like, and we should nationalize the oil, and everyone's going, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. And that's how you become Prime Minister, mm. still to this day. Yeah. The nationalization of oil, however, proved catastrophic for the Iranian economy and severely limited the exportation of the oil. 
Like they were just not exporting any oil. Like they had no trade deals lined up. Mm. You, you know, no one was. Uh, people were just going elsewhere for the oil. It was, it was terrible. Uh, the U.S. responded to this uh, nationalization with a military coup because they just thought, mm, you know, we want that oil. I think it was our idea, wasn't it? It was. It was the U. Is Britain's idea, and they got America to do the heavy lifting because the they. Well, well, Britain effectively said, "Hey, America, would you like some oil?" And they were like, "Yeah, yeah. why not? Yeah." We love oil. It was like a, uh, it was an MI5 led, uh, no, MI6. MI6. Yeah. It was an MI6 led, uh, you know, uh, movement. Mm-hmm. But America did the stuff. Mm-hmm. The CIA did the stuff. Mm-hmm. So they did a military coup on Mossadegh's government in 1953, which returned sole power to the Shah, a power which relied heavily on the US's muscle. So the Shah is always kind of in power. Mm. Like, like grace of someone else, yeah. yeah. Yes, and and that whole Mossadegh thing is incredible because effectively that that was Iran on its way to democracy. Effectively, they yeah. that like you know this was a guy who like, was going to who was the first elected the prime first minister, democratically elected leader, who had effectively Iran. got rid of foreign interference in their key you know economy and industry uh, and. So I, the guy who led it was Teddy Roosevelt's, I think, grandson, Kermit Roosevelt. Oh, yeah. Little, love, yeah, love an underrated Kermit. name. Kermit's probably just... Because Kermit the Frog's ruined that name for yeah, everyone, yeah. hasn't it? Yeah. It's a bit back, like the, back then, that was a big exactly. foreign policy like, heavy hitter's it's name. It's a bit like you don't see many Adolfs around now, do you? When like, did Kermit... Very when, different reasons when did, for that, though. When did Kermit the Frog come into... Uh, I don't know. How old are the Muppets? I don't know. 70s? Preparation for an Iran discussion doesn't yeah, cross yeah, over exactly. much with uh, the background Sorry. of the Muppet well, if the, show. If the Muppets don't have an Iranian Revolution episode, then they're <laughs> not thinking hard enough. Yeah. Um, so Kermit were, was, was put sent in. He uh, overthrew Mustek's government in three weeks. The, the Roosevelt's, yeah. not the Muppet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Kermit the Roosevelt. Or just Kermit Roosevelt, I think his name was. Uh, <laughs> no, no, he was Kermit the Roosevelt. Kermit the Roosevelt. Yeah. Uh, Overthrew in three weeks. He was given a million dollars in cash, apparently. He did an interview many years later, said, you were given a million dollars in cash. He said, yes, we spent $60,000 of it to overthrow the government. And effectively, what, what he did was uh, uh, apparently paid a bunch of people to put up a bunch of like uh, posters in town that were anti-Mossadegh, yeah, for one thing. Yeah. And then... Paid a bunch of thugs to run through the cities screaming yay for Mossadegh, beating people up and breaking windows. Yeah. And then paid another group of people to come in a, through. In a suspicious American yeah. accent. Yeah. Yay exactly. for Mossadegh, no, dude! No. They were like yeah. the like, Iranian like, mafia. Yeah, yeah, like Organised criminals. Yeah, yeah. But then after Iran that, paid, paid a, a separate group of people to run through his town and beat those people up to show that there was anarchy in the streets. <laughs> Uh, and apparently that did the job. And three weeks later, Mossadegh was out and the show was Coo- back Coos in. Coups were easier back then. I yeah, think. yeah. I feel I like, social media. I feel like what yeah, I love about that, that is like that, that is so old school. Yeah. That is like old school CIA of like, yeah. let's run through the street. Like intelligence would never work like that now. Like no, let's not. run through the street yeah. doing yeah. something. Yeah. And we'll, I mean, we'll get onto the Iranian Revolution later, I'm sure, which because everything happens in order, as you said. Um, and uh, I'm hoping that, you'll help with that. That point, was much. I forgot to do those notes that was much more a failure of intelligence basically uh, but th- this one was just as you say you know can you imagine these days so, so an American official being given a million dollars and I only need 60 grand of it it's fine <laughs> yeah. but, you know, yeah. don't worry about the rest you can have it back yeah, simpler times uh, so where are we at now they've just done the coup d'etat yeah, yeah. so the Mossadegh, Shah I think we're in 53 are we yeah so um, 
despite his oh yeah I've written it down who is Good. listening to this podcast <laughs> <laughs> seriously I want to say uh, you know the, sh- is it the Shah's son he's right. still knocking he's around still, he's right. no, he has yeah. no idea about any of this yeah. Reza Pallavi he still does interviews right. he's called Reza Pallavi well right. he leads the, the like the the government in exile is yeah, it? Like yeah, the, yeah. The, where are they, are they in France I have no idea where they're based I want to say he's in the US oh. so I don't know where the thing is, but that's a seek. That's a follow-up podcast. Yeah. Okay. So wait. So the, we're at the coup d'état, right? Do, would I? Yeah. Would all my slack-jawed listeners know what a coup d'état is? It's like a, you know the the military comes in and takes power. Uh, yeah, a, like a, a coup to take power of the government. Yeah. Yeah, but you have to simplify the word coup. Kid. Oh God. Yeah. Okay. Come on. Have you never listened to one of my episodes? I told before? you no. I've come in blind. This is. I prefer main. not to know what I'm in for. So despite his political movements, which championed women, the second Shah viewed women as sexual objects. Uh, when he fled Iran during the 1953 coup d'etat, he spent time in Rome, and a British diplomat reported uh, that he spent most of his time in nightclubs with his latest mistress. Uh, he also reported he hates taking decisions and cannot be relied on to stick to them when taken. He has no moral courage and succumbs easily to fear. So this is just keeps popping up in reports about him. I wonder if that diplomat was the same football coach from his time in Switzerland. <laughs> he no, still can't pass no progression. He doesn't pass his side. Yeah, he needs to cut in. <laughs> Should have played him on the left. <laughs> but uh, I'll I'll show you uh, an interview with him in a minute, and you can see whether you were whether that jives with the image that I've painted thus far. Okay. About the so as a result of the 1973 oil crisis. Okay, we skipped. Tw- I'm sure there was a quiet 20 years. Right, I'm well, sure. So the 1973 oil <laughs> crisis. Now you're testing me. Was a thing whereby Iran. It was something like. <laughs> it was something like Iran uh, decided they weren't going to sell, or they were going to hike the price for all pro-Israel nation-states or something like that. So as a result, places like America, obviously. So as a result, uh, America said, well, f*** you, we'll get it from Saudi Arabia. And that created a massive crisis. For This starts the ball rolling with the Iran thing. Because until, I want to say in the 60s, the Shah was quite popular if a little bit I haven't written this down but the Shah was very um, you know uh, used to send heavies round and burn books and yeah like anything he didn't like he would but quite heavy handed he's very heavy much like his father had overseen yeah quite a big sort of growth in yeah Iran's GDP and yeah. was pushing on with sort of general standard of living. Yeah, I think the progressive. Did, yeah. Was it the Sabak? To some extent, was the secret police? They were the secret they, police. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, which they, you know, they they pick you up and torture you and stuff. Or yeah. Yeah. It, it was actually, you know, never clear exactly what they were doing to people, but there was a whole culture of fear around it. Yeah. Like, yes, precisely. But because in the, I think in the interview that I show you, uh, the Shah goes on about his popularities through the roof. Which I guess it was, or they were just doctoring the polls. Or was the oil crisis before or after he got rid of all the political parties? And he got rid of all the political parties in the sixties. Yeah, and, so I and, and then bit. forced everyone to become a member and pay subscription to that political party. Right. Yeah, that was in the late sixties, I believe. Yeah, mm-hmm. but also 
could not be. <laughs> it was at a time. It was either before or after. I'm sorry, that. I know you love these things in order, but I just can't do that. <laughs> okay, so the, the 1973 oil crisis, as a result, inflation soared in Iran, and uh, Iran was flooded with skilled immigrants, which proved unpopular. So I don't really understand that, but immigrants started coming to Iran for some reason as a result of the of the uh, of to work, yeah. Of the oil. To work with oil, I guess, is the... Yeah, I presume so. Uh, the gap between the Shah's money and that of the struggling people of Iran became amplified as a result of this. The Shah and his family were making billions, like actual billions, mm. whereas a lot of the population of Iran was struggling. And in, in 1971... Okay, so this is not in order, as you can tell. We're going backwards. Harry's here. livid. So this is what I was telling you both about earlier. In 1971, the Shah angered his citizens by throwing an extremely elaborate party for the 2,500th anniversary of the Persian Empire. So I don't quite know what, what the... I don't know the history of the Persian Empire, so I don't quite know what they're celebrating there, but it must have been like some battle won or something. I think it was like the, the foundation of the empire by, that, by Cyrus the Great. Ooh. I think. That sounds good. Something like that. He also changed the calendar. The calendar moved like yeah, fifteen hundred years. So it wasn't actually something. the two and a half thousand. Well, no, he, he they had been going by the Islamic lunar calendar, mm. and he at some point decided they should not do that. They should take up an imperial, what became known as an imperial calendar. Yeah. It was a Western one, mm. and that the start date for that would be something to do with Cyrus the Great's birth or death or something. Yeah, mm. that would make his coronation date something special. Okay, um, but it moved the date from like. 2035 to 1540 or something ridiculous you're absolutely whatever everything you just said jives with what i vaguely jives. read once but, <laughs> but wasn't able to articulate into we notes moved the date to 1973 <laughs> yeah <laughs> the, no this is 1971 yeah come on get it right are you not so, following these notes no no <laughs> god it's timeline so he's thrown a party for the anniversary of the persian empire the celebrations invited monarchs and heads of state from all of the major states, including... Can you guess who we sent from Britain? What year was it? 71? 71. It wasn't the Prime Minister. Was it part of the royal family? Yeah. Not Prince, Ch Prince Charles? No, we sent two. Too young. We sent two. I don't know who the woman is, but I'm assuming it's his wife. Is it some, some like... Duke of Kent or something, or some... Not a Duke of Edinburgh. No. No, it was Prince Philip. Really? We sent Prince Philip and Princess Anne. I don't really know who Princess Anne is, but... Princess I'm, Anne I'm is the Queen's, Queen's daughter. daughter. Prince Philip is the Duke of Edinburgh. Yeah. Oh, sorry, God. I'm from Wales. <laughs> They're yours too. <laughs> Everyone yeah. always forgets. <laughs> that is highly offensive. <laughs> so... It's, so, it's true though. This is, when I, I, I work with these uh, other Do offices. I need to turn I, your mic down. Our other office is Irish at work, and they get furious whenever I call Northern Ireland part of Britain rather than Ireland. They get furious about yeah. it. Well, that's a tense. That's far more tense a, a statement than than Wales being United part of the UK. Kingdom. Wales is quite clearly part of the UK. United has Kingdom been the same. Britain and Northern Ireland. I'm not going to make a whole thing of it. No, but come on, guys, if you're listening. So he's thrown this party, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's thrown this huge party to bask in the wealth and grandiose image of Iran. It's all about creating this big image of Iran, mm. of like, we're all about wealth, we're all about, you know, 
outstanding, everyone's standing in line, you know, back mm-hmm. straight, that kind of thing. The Shah was trying to demonstrate that Iran was in a renaissance period. The festivities are somewhat, sometimes referred to as the most expensive party of all time. Estimates of the cost vary from 300 million to 2 billion Swiss francs. I don't know why that's the that's me- also that's measurement. A, still, that's a big yeah. range. That's a huge gap. Swiss right? francs a pound, isn't it? Or something? Like, I don't know. Well, it's it's the kind of thing that 300 million to 2 billion is But it'll always be impossible to estimate because he's using so much of Iran's resources as well. Mm. For the, the, he's not like handing the money over <laughs> yeah. he's, he's saying like gimme yeah god it really puts it's quite super sweet 16 to shame doesn't it really yeah, yeah. well this pretty much was his super sweet 16 super, super sweet, sweet 2500 <laughs> the festivities particularly angered those low skilled workers in Iran that we were talking about who were desperately struggling at the time They're probably working at this party and like I said the party was uh, uh, narrated by Orson Welles was that. the party narrated by Orson Welles <laughs> or was it the do- <laughs> yeah. was he DJing <laughs> it's like where you get Mark Ronson these days like does Mark Ronson do parties? Oh, yeah. Mark Ronson was, I think, I think Mark Ronson Jay- would do that kind Jay- of, two billion. Mark Ronson DJ Jay-Z and Beyonce's wedding. Does he speak? No, no, no. But he'd like, Just it's, music. I, I mean, I imagine there wasn't a DJ as such at the Shah's party. <laughs> the That's kind of, na- Orson Welles narrating is about as far as it gets. They must have had a, uh, a violin or something. Like, the Orson Welles narrated the party. Yes. yes, not not like uh, coverage of no, it. No, no, coverage. Like to the extent, like and Prince Philip has entered into conversation <laughs> yeah. with the Prime Minister of France. No, it's not. It's not. He's not Jeff Stelling. <laughs> <laughs> Soccer Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's and just like Paul have come into it at yeah, some but point. You know, back in the day, they used to like um, before films start, they have like a little. And here's what's going on in Iran. And then they kicked a Chris Kamara. I think Orson Welles did like a special little feature of that. Like he did like sort of radio stories, radio hits of like, you know, how great the party was and stuff. It is on, shall I show you the Orson Welles thing? Yeah, I would be interested actually. Okay, I think it is online on YouTube. So just search, uh, you know, Shah Party Orson Welles or something. That's what (laughs) I'm about to search right now. (laughs) So let's see how it goes. Cyrus, the founder of Persian culture and the father of Iran, the land, five times the size of Great Britain, which this Shah rules today. As he left the tomb to join his empress and his ten-year-old son, the crown prince, he was filled with a sense of occasion. It had fallen to him, after a twilight in his nation's long history, to remind the world and his own people of Persian pride. Yeah, so that that party uh, angered uh, people is what I'm trying to yeah. say because uh, because Iran is struggling and he's doing like this big. Uh, I read that it was something like they imported fifty thousand singing birds to uh, make it. Into, they're trying to make it. They're literally just trying to create the image that this is what Iran is like, and they built a uh, forest for the birds to live in. Is all that kind of, and it's like uh, something about the tent that they used used up thirty six kilometers of ribbon or something like that. There's some, there's lots of st- basically. They used a lot of stuff. They used a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. For this thing, 
Which is, uh, you know, not on. As the sh- It's a bad move by the Shah because the, the people are going to see this, mm. which they did, and they were like, hang on, why haven't I got any of that gold or whatever yeah. that was in the video? Why, mm. why isn't Orson Welles coming to Why isn't he narrating my, my dinner parties? <laughs> so the Iranian... So the, that brings us to the Iranian Revolution, basically. <laughs> Swiftly. <yeah. laughs> it went the from Iranian, this party yeah, to the Iranian Revolution. revolution. Yeah, yeah, it was that good a party. Yeah. And I'm going to rely on both of you to explain what it was, because I'll tell you what I've written in this paragraph before I hastily ran to the pub to meet you guys. The Iranian <laughs> Revolution was a movement within Iran hell-bent on overthrowing the Shah. Iranian students took over the U.S. Embassy and took dozens of Americans hostage. I couldn't even be bothered to look up the number. Mm. But I think it was like 63, that's what I have in my head. Uh, Dozens of Americans were taken hostage in the Iranian Embassy. I think it was a lot more, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, I thought it was like 400. No, it wasn't that many. Uh, I think it was less than... There's a 400 number involved somewhere. Maybe it's 400 students. 52, apparently. Okay. Maybe it's 400 so students. So dozens. That, that you know. took it over. It was, um, no, it was the fact that they were um, held for more than 400 days. Uh, 400 yeah, days. Yeah, there's a 400 in there. Okay, well, you've already taken my one of two sentences I have about it right now. <laughs> the, ta- the crisis lasted for over a year before hostages were finally rescued. And the Shah had, of course, by this time, yeah, fled. That's like, well, the revolution's kind of happened by the time the hostage crisis happens. What, what had happened? So the revolution happens. Oh, to overthrow the, the Shah. Hostage crisis because the, didn't the Shah leave to go on holiday or something? The reason that the hostage crisis well, that's what happens. He said, mm. he was, he was yeah. mm. isn't, the, isn't the reason they, the hostage crisis happens is because uh, He's the gone. Shah goes to America yeah. or he like really wants to, and America like, mm, I don't really, I'm not sure if we should. And mm. they do let him in. Yeah. And that's portrayed by the revolutionaries right. as the US has given him mm. like asylum which they hadn't officially at that point mm. but, and so they take over the the embassy but that's skipping past yeah. the whole revolution and further by saying that's just putting the revolution to one side for yeah. a second and the, the whole revolution further to what I was saying earlier about like intelligence for America it was America had absolutely no clue that the revolution was going mm. on basically or all was going to happen they thought everything was just fine and dandy well, yeah. because it was all happening in the mosques where they didn't have and all the clerics were kind of getting behind it and they mm. were stoking everything so America had all these sort of you know the more secular people standing yeah. in the streets going oh it all seems fine here like no yeah. there's no, no one's particularly angry yeah. and there were all these kind of rousing speeches taking mm. place in the mosques which is where Ayatollah Khomeini was yeah. and, and that was where it was all happening well they're, they're like before that point as well the Shah had become a lot more forceful mm. contrary to his sort of frail timid, and timid yeah. nature he'd started to like direct bits of foreign policy and was a bit pushy with the west and the states because they were now so rich and had so much oil mm. and were playing what we would might now see as the saudi arabia role in the middle east of being the west's sort of partner and regional right strength um and it was that that people didn't like in around well, that yeah some people didn't like that some people didn't like the fact that he and an elite were getting really, really rich, and they weren't. Um, he'd also made some changes with his like the like the poorer people angry that oh, the, the wealth that Iran was seeing was just going to was a few at the top. The um, and part of his like progressive reforms had been to try and get rid of the sort of aristocrat and sort of peasant 
face. So and in many ways, Ayatollah Khomeini is playing like the Bernie Sanders role. Yeah, I mean, well, he was in exile as well, Khomeini. Yeah. In Do you want me to... Literally, Iraq. the only paragraph I have left is a little thing saying that Ayatollah Khomeini was a... Uh, at the time, he was called Ali Khomeini, a political figure in Iran during the 50s and 60s. And in 1962, he was arrested by the Shah's henchmen. What are they called? Savak. Savak. Uh, for his outspoken views on the Western-led Iraq. Iran. Jesus, what a time yeah. to think. <laughs> it's a Freudian slip. What a th- I'm just thinking this whole time that we're talking about Iraq. So he was banished from Iran as a result of this. Because he doesn't yeah. like that Iran are always in America's pocket. Yeah. And he but, went to France, didn't he, I think? He did, yeah. 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 But like, what it wasn't so it wasn't just that uh, sort of the clerics and like hardliner religious groups didn't like the Shah, but mm. other people didn't like the Shah. There were like educated, skilled young people who didn't like the Shah because because of his reforms and like funding to education, there were now more educated people, but there weren't skilled jobs, so mm. they had like the highest unemployment level. So lots of people didn't like him for lots of reasons and you won't name them because you're affiliated to them but also the, the <laughs> communists didn't like him. oh yeah yeah communists yeah. didn't like him because he was a you know huge yeah. capitalist and part of what i should have said about the coup d'etat etc in the 50s was that america was scared that it would fall to communism yeah they thought Mossadegh was gonna become like a yeah it was like domino theory because mm-hmm. truman wasn't gonna intervene but then Eisenhower took over and Eisenhower was very much afraid of communism taking over the world country by country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, gin, who wants some gin? <laughs> I'll have some gin. Yeah, gin would be good, wouldn't it? Yeah. Uh, do, how would you like uh, Silver Circle Distilleries Y Valley Gin? Well, I have to say, it's not a name I've heard of before, but hearing the name, I'm immediately intrigued. As immediately to intrigued. What, what it immediately might be. want to taste their thing. So let me go and get the thing. So, Kieran, you're unfortunately doing dry January. I am. So you're not going to taste the gin. So you can no. tell us. What do you think about... Here's the bottle. The bottle well, looks, Take it in your hand. It looks great. Uh-huh. It's a proper cork. Yeah. That's do you want to undo the thing That's for always us? good. You give it a sniff, can't you? That's not breaking your own rule. That was good. Yeah, what do you think? It smells really good. Yeah, it's from the Y Valleys. It smells almost peppery, which I do like in a gin. I don't know where the Y Valleys are. They're right, well, good job I have some <laughs> notes for you. <laughs> Excellent. But I don't actually know. I think that, I think about, you know, South Wales, so it's on the border between Wales and England, somewhere, somewhere around there. Uh, but it's created in the Y Valleys, bordering England and Wales. The Silver Circle Distillery handcraft this gin using botanicals growing wild in the valley. Mm. So I have in my head that all ingredients in that gin grow wild in the in the Y Valley, including some crystal clear local spring water, apparently. Oh, good, yeah, yeah, which is always good. Mm. The uh, result is a fresh, crisp gin. It's also including uh, woodruff, elderflower, blackberry leaf, mugwort. And more. Do you know, have either of you heard of a mugwort? No. It sounds like a kind of Harry Potter. It yes, does. I have. I believe mugwort is um is like a, uh, a lily, like a kind of a mm. lily-looking plant flower thing, mm. which you wouldn't think. Such by, an ugly name for yeah. such an apparently beautiful yeah. thing. They haven't marketed that very well. Mm. 
don't listen to these high-powered, mass-produced gin companies with their weird, nondescript chemicals and worryingly long list of foreign ingredients. Drink gin you can trust by going to silvercircledistillery.com and, post- and uh, purchasing your own bottle. Can we have some? Shall I pour? Mm. Yeah, please. I don't know, do you like them strong? You're going to pour your own. That's fine. I'll pour it. I'm just going to pour it next to the mic so people can be pretty quiet. <laughs> that was <laughs> awful. So, Harry, you're not a fan of, uh, of gin and tonic. No, I'm, right? not, I'm about the only person left who's not, you know, who's not a big gin and tonic fan. But, um, you know, I'm bought into the narrative behind this gin, so I'll give it a go. Have you ever been to Hole in the Wall, Ben? No, you're reading out the, uh, the... These seem like place names. You would imagine that their village is surrounding... You would, in the, the Wire Valley, Valley, you would think, yeah. But one of them is called Not Hole sure. in the Wall. Okay, so uh, so me and Harry, I guess, will cheers, and then and then Harry will give his... Well, but you're in favour of the bottle, Kieran? Very much so, yeah. Okay, it's, good. It's a lovely bottle. Good, good, good. Okay, so Harry, cheers. Cheers. Oh, yeah, I like that, actually. Yeah. No, I, sometimes I find... Um, the main reason I don't like gin and tonic, sometimes it can be a bit bitter. Mm-hmm. But that's not bitter at all. That's very um, crisp and refreshing. <laughs> yeah. Or whatever it said on the bottle. <laughs> it's, quite, uh, it's quite fruity, right? Is yeah, it? it is. Yeah, yeah. It almost tastes like it's good. We haven't put a lemon or a lime in these, and it, it tastes like we might have done. Although I or should... grapefruit. I should uh, confess that that is tonic water with a slight bit of lemon included so really what I'm commentating on is the <laughs> great tonic <laughs> yeah, water yeah, yeah. Fan- <laughs> fantastic tonic it's the tonic water with By, lemon from uh, Sainsbury's uh, oh, yeah. Well, yeah a well known supermarket brand as well yeah. I was going to say but you know uh, no, the no, bot- other supermarkets the are bottle, however of that tonic water is, is yeah. subpar no it is this is a really nice gym. maybe this is where I've been going wrong is I've been using not tonic water with chemical lemon in it <laughs> No, 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 no nondescript chemicals is what we said. Yeah. Okay. Well, did anyway, did you nice. sniff it? I, I sniffed the the gin. Yeah, it was know? it was lovely. It smelled crisp. <laughs> smelled refreshing. <laughs> smelled crisp. It smelled quite uh, floral, botanically. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'd say. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. It smells like botanicals that grow in the in the Y valleys, as, as you'd hope they do. I feel like it's about time we took a stand and said yes to to um to local locally produced. Uh, British gins, you know, mm. and no to the opposite of that. Whatever other gins are yeah, out there, yeah, yeah. It's like Gordon's. Where does that come from? Can someone check? I bet it's like Latvia or something. And You're if asked so, to check, and if so, no, not really. But <laughs> I just meant, can the listeners check? Yeah, and it's probably London. Phone it in, <laughs> right in with hashtag Gordon's. But not, not. <laughs> but no, that's yeah. probably giving them unnecessary. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. No promotion. Especially talking about Silver Circle. Yeah, yeah and I'm yeah. not sitting there all day refreshing hashtag Gordon's, trying to see which <laughs> ones are for us. Uh, Gordon's is Scottish, apparently. Okay, well, oh, that's, that's a bad example. Yeah, that, that's quite a, a good. Heritage. Okay, so right Gordon. Gordon's, Gordon's been going since 1769 as well. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Okay, this has been going since 2019. So you need to give Y Valley Gin a little modern local yeah. British gin. No, but I just feel like you know, there's no reason to get stuck in a box. There's lots of good. You know, how good is Gordon's? No one really knows. It's just the one that everyone goes to. And this is pr- properly Welsh as well. Like it's you know, yeah. Monmouthshire. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's on the border of England and Wales, but made in Monmouthshire. Mm. And, uh, you know, and like I said, you can go to silvercircledistillery.com 
Yeah. Get your own Y Valley gym. To find out more. Uh, you know, I don't want to make this into a Brexit podcast, but we can support British stuff, you know? Well, we're going to have to, That's what's going to pick us up from this. That's where around... Homegrown British antibiotics, I think, will be my favourite brand. Mm. That, in many ways, is where the Shah went wrong. He saw, like, f*** it, let's just, you know, ship everything to America and, and then America can give me money. Mm. Instead of creating a an economy that goes round, right? Mm-hmm. Is that right? Do I have a good idea of how an economy well, works? Certainly, obviously, the relationship I'm between the two got very close. And actually, isn't there mm-hmm. in, in in another sort of slightly off piece char anecdote? Because you know all sorts of hilarious things. When Nixon was in power, they made a deal that said if you guarantee American interests in Iran, you can buy whatever weaponry you want. Mm. Which is an insane deal, basically. There was, and then in the end, Shah with his his billions ended up buying all sorts of crazy yeah. military equipment. Yeah. Yeah. And America was sitting there going, "Oh God, what have we done?" Yeah. But it was the deal, well, to be it, fair. Nixon, when he sort of came into office, had the sort of idea that America's allies should start almost a Trumpian kind of thing. America's allies should start doing more mm. to shoulder their it's side. Trumpian of, a phrase now. I think it's you know, it, it's a nice term. Always, you know, it works. Um, mm. that they should do more to sort of deal with their own security and manage their own parts of the world and the yeah. Shah was like great well in which case you'll be happy to sell me the stuff I need mm. to do that right and they were like well yeah because that's exactly what we just asked you to do so he's like right I'll have all the tanks, yeah. and, all, all the tanks. and all the planes I want all the warships yeah. Yeah. give me everything yeah, yeah. he also bought a lot of that from the UK yeah I think he bought it, it from everywhere yeah, like, basically he did just like to buy stuff. Yeah, what else are you going to spend it on, I suppose? Yeah, well, they had a lot of art. He had a big party. He had a big art collection, a huge party. Loads of cars, apparently, as well. Yeah, he was into his cars, I heard. Yeah. He had, like, a specially made Maserati, of which there was only one in the world or something. Like, he absolutely loved his cars. And also airplanes. Airplanes, because he loved to fly. He loved to go high. Really high. high. I love the equation of airplanes with height. (laughs) It's great. Yeah. did he, did I bet he would have had a spaceship if he could have done. <laughs> did he not love Charles de Gaulle purely because he was a tall bloke? Like, de Gaulle was like six foot five oh, yeah. or something. <laughs> no, And so right. he was like the Shah's favourite world leader and yeah. like guest he, of honour at several and French Iranian. And yeah, because he loved you know, France as well, yeah. 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 No, um, you're absolutely right. That is why he liked Charles de Gaulle, yeah. according to my He's reading. Just like, this guy is just a. What a bloke. He can come over all the time. <laughs> just and I can on. just look up at it. <laughs> yeah. I think I think the Shah himself was like five something. Certainly wasn't as tall as his it's dad. It's strange that his, no, his dad was, was six yeah. foot four and he was so short. I mean, some people are just... Yeah, because just, like when I, I sit next to a scout at Chelsea and he's always saying when you've got like you know under nines it's like, oh, are they going to make it as footballers? You look, yeah, at their dad look at their dad and say, how tall is his dad? Yeah. Uh... I, I grew to be a lot taller than my dad, mm. so maybe it's... Yeah, but you rarely turn out to be shorter unless you have, like, a well, malnourished. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think. Do I, I know... Mean, if I... the Shah was having peas for breakfast, as Ben suggested <laughs> earlier, then he probably is a bit malnourished. <laughs> I know a, a few... rounded meal. I know a few uh, people who are shorter than their dads. Probably, I think, the same height as my dad, I think. Like, exactly the same. And therefore harbour no affections to Charles <laughs> Gaulle. No, no. But also, your father showed you affection when you were little, presumably. Yeah, I didn't didn't kick anyone in the crotch that I saw. Yeah. yeah. And you didn't turn out to be a homosexual. Didn't go to a Swiss boarding school. Played in defence as well. Oh, there you go. Mm. Bravery. Mm. That is something I do credit you with on the football pitch. 
is uh, misplaced uh, bravery. Well, no, just in terms of uh, it takes a bit of oomph to go up for headers, even because mm. I've never, as you well know, I've noticed. Yeah. I don't go up for headers, mm. and it's not like I'll put myself into lots of tackles and stuff. I'll put myself, put my body on the line in lots of other ways. Yeah, but headers. No, don't fancy well, that. Uh, apparently, Scotland are days from banning headers in youth football. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I did read that, and I feel like I've been telling you for years that that is mm. what's going to happen. Yeah, and I, I, haven't been, I haven't been disagreeing with you. Okay, well, this is revisionism, just like Kieran <laughs> saying, "Oh, I've always been saying we should keep an eye on Iran." <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I've always no. I've always said, yeah, there's definitely a link between heading the ball and it's just never CTE. felt. It's never felt right to me. Mm. It's always as soon it's, as it is part of the game is the thing. Like, sometimes it's not futsal, like you know. But the, you probably should have an, an age at which you are allowed to start heading the ball in the same way as in American football. There's an age at which you start playing contact. You know, you don't play contact from like Pop Warner football. <clears throat> but the amount of times that you head the ball when you're in under nines anyway is very small. Mm. Even under like fourteens. You're not going to head at the ball. Yeah, that still, much. you're still kind of growing and developing and all that sort of stuff when you're that young. Yeah, sure. But I tend to think if damage is happening, it's because it's a consistent pattern. Mm. Isn't that how neuro- neurological uh, injuries happen? Is that it's the constant? Well, it's this, yeah, that, that's that how CTE, that's what CTE is. Yeah, it's you know constant tiny concussions over time, effectively. Yeah. So I tend to think uh, eventually they'll just ban heading in general. Yeah, may- well, so, you know, maybe, maybe. Is, I'm glad that we have football would be strange without it, though, wouldn't it? It would look like a completely different sport. Yeah, probably way less. Uh, I mean, the British game would be fucked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to be honest, I mean, they might. What's we gonna do? <laughs> maybe they'll just ban football and we'll all just play darts or something. I don't know. Like, yeah, you know. maybe. I would hope that darts isn't the second. <laughs> well, maybe snooker as well. Yeah. Is that really our second? Snooker's sport? dying. I heard. Mm. Uh, well, darts is dying apparently as well. They didn't nobody turned up to the. Is it the PDC or the BDO? Which one's the? There's two of them, and one of them's huge and Ali Pali. Oh, I thought. And the other one is like they've they've like halved the like prize money in the last year. I and no one darts was up. doing well. I don't know. Well, there's the big one, isn't there, Ali Pali? But darts are surely. Uh, Come on, Kieran. You're the, you're I, the parlor I, games expert. Here. I just I get them confused. <laughs> but surely, um, surely darts are. Marketing beyond their means, if you get what I mean. They, you're saying darts is dying, as in it's not as popular as it was two years ago or whatever. Mm. But two years ago, it was way more popular than it should be, considering that it's <laughs> darts. Yeah, yeah. Well, dar- darts is one of those things where actually going along and watching it and getting hammered is the main attraction, yeah. isn't it? I think. It's, it's Although they do like have TV, and actually, I, I did get quite into it when um, who's it? Is it? Um, Farah Sherrick, the the female darts player who oh, won right. the Sherrick, shit, yeah, who won the first ever uh, game in a, in the professional tournament yeah. as a woman, yeah. which, which was huge. Happened, I didn't, I didn't see it was like a big moment. Like it was all over yeah. Sky Sports and everything. And Sky seemed to put a lot of TV money into it as well. And so. why why do you think a woman didn't win until then? Uh, I uh, this is one of the things that like I get the, the monumental because it's the first, but mm. it's one of the things I've never quite understood. Yeah. Why there there's should no physical, be why no there physical. should be a physical advantage isn't it for just, men in darts? It's not that far. Isn't away. it just in terms of like role models in darts for but women it, it looking might, to it going yeah. like you know Jockey Wilson and Phil Taylor and getting, there's not many it, it women. Might, it must just be a sort of opportunity yeah. and like a, 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 like getting into the game thing because yeah. we're not asking you to throw massive no, distances. No, no. 
And, and, like, and I, I don't think there's a physical advantage equally, for as men being more accurate. That e- can't be. Equally in like, Formula One and mo- race, racing driving and things yeah. like that, it's probably the same kind yeah. of thing. Exactly. And actually, the, the, the woman who eventually won in darts is from like a darts family. Like both yeah. her, her mum and her dad played to at least a semi-professional level. Mm. Her sister plays as well and everything. And eventually she was just kind of, you know, made her way through the... But couldn't it, wouldn't, it be, wouldn't it be that uh, women just inherently don't want to play darts. Well, I think that's kind of what I was saying in the sense that there was no one to... I don't think that's... Kieran would say quite the opposite, I'd imagine. No, I think I was saying... Not like an inherent... No, no, no. Just like there's no... Just like it's it's seen as a a male thing. It's a male-dominated sport and so there's not much inspiration or motivation or opportunity for women to get involved. I would assume that it's a bit more than that, that they just wouldn't want to... Well, there's some, something about were. how women are born that means they don't want to play darts or what? Yeah, or just their, you know, their general... Uh... I don't think you're born with likes and dislikes. <laughs> Particularly around hobbies. darts. I don't <laughs> think you're born with a set of hobbies and you're like, I'll find these one day. That's nurture rather than nature. No, I don't think it's all nurture. I think I think some of it is nature. There may be some nature in terms of the things that you might be better the that you grab. at or find easier and therefore enjoy more, but I, I don't think darts is one of those things mm. that... No, I tend to you, think that women and men not naturally, on gender basis. I tend to think that they gravitate towards different things because of society, not. No, I don't biology. think that's the only reason. I think that some of it well, is biology okay. as well. That's why that would be my guess. Yeah, well, it would be a guess. Yeah, but I think <laughs> I feel like you're just guessing as well. Okay. Right? Are you not? I think that one, like, Kieran's perspective is more based in logic, though, in the sense of there's nothing to say that women are inherently against being involved in darts. In, in their genetic makeup. Yeah. Well, we're, we're not studying the genetic makeups of darts players, I'd imagine. <laughs> well, the Kieran has the default. The Kieran has the default position. You mean? Is well, that there just, isn't one. Well, mine is, is is based on there being no evidence for that being the case, and you're saying it is the case without there being any evidence for it. I'd say I'd say I would guess that there is. There is I'm something. saying a thing there's no evidence for isn't happening, and you're saying a thing there's no evidence for. Is happening. No, but you're That's not the difference. You're not just saying there is no evidence. You're saying you you're saying you don't think that that it is biological. Oh, but based on there not really being any evidence. So, for so we're both think we're both making positive assertions. Right? Uh, 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 yeah, I mean, sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So Iran, anyway. <laughs> this is what the Shah was on about in terms of letting women in the. What I, what I have it. Let me just say one last thing about the Shah. So part of it was he was saying, "Oh, we need to do this for women." Blah 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 blah. But also he was thinking of it in terms of doing that because it was gaining popularity, and he was just trying to jump on a trend in Iran of like, "Hey, you know, women, and then we give women the vote, and then women will vote for you know in favor of all my stuff." Not that he, he, Not they have votes. Have to vote. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because but, I, because I gave them the vote, they'll yeah. vote for me. And because there's only one party, they'll mm-hmm. have to vote for it. And <laughs> but also he was saying um, Iran. D- would benefit from having twice as many people in the workforce, which w- which makes sense. Do you want to see this uh, this quick interview with the Shah before mm-hmm. we go? Yeah, here it is. Then you are blessed with other things. For instance, you can grow wheat so cheap because you don't need any irrigation. You get all the water from the skies. You don't have to spend any money on the irrigation of that. When we have to, and that's why you and the Americans are feeding the world with your wheat and all of a sudden your wheat that was sold for $60 a few years ago you sold it to for $245 last year or the year before. 
So your question I don't think is fair. Nobody could invade us without uh, being forced to crush us. Because we are not going to surrender. What excuse will you have to come to these oil-producing countries? It will be barbaric, without any precedent in the world, the worst imperialistic movement that the world had ever known. How could you do that? That's the yeah. gist of it. Don't you think he made some <clears throat> very lucid points, though? He's, he's right. He's basically saying, yeah, the oil makes the world go round in Iran, yeah. and, uh, you know, you all judge us based on our price of oil because that's all we're worth to you. Mm. But your, you Western countries are, are exporting all different types of shit. Mm. And uh, you can take your price up and down as you wish. And it's not a problem mm. to you because you know, you're the ones in charge. And yeah, all we have is oil. But when we yeah, when we start to try and assert ourselves, <coughs> you get angry and say, why are you trying to... Mm-hmm. Take brings us full circle, really. Iran feel like they're being pushed around mm. all the time. Because, you know, America and to some extent us, the Britain, UK, mm. and Wales yeah. are in charge. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, we definitely, we, we yeah. do definitely apply a Western-centric lens to a lot of this stuff. Um, and I think we take a lot of things for granted uh, compared to, you know, what's happening in the Middle East in some ways. Uh, yeah, I, I, I do, yeah. I, I think, you know, it's very easy to, if we, at the beginning we were talking about, like, why would we assassinate a foreign official of theirs when, you know, in, in that kind of context, but equally, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I'm a little bit... I'm, you I'm did lose me a little bit at I, the yeah, end there. Yeah, <laughs> I, I had a very clear sense of where I was going. I lost my yeah. thread. Kieran, what did you think of the Shah as a, uh, you know, as a speaker, as a man? How does he come across? Based on all the, all the accusations I leveled at him in the, middle uh, of the, yeah. in the middle of the podcast. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, he comes across pretty... Sensible, yeah. I think it comes across really, really reasonable. It comes across reasonable, yeah, and fair. I mean, as it it, it started, and she described him as like one of the most powerful men in the world. I think by that stage, he had sort of come into Mm. a sense of himself as a powerful individual, both because of his ability to push things around internationally, because of the importance of Iran, um, and also because of his like total grip on power in the country he definitely comes across as someone who's very sure of himself and his view yeah um, but not in a kind of mad unhinged way no he's definitely not uh, I don't get the impression that he's mad no although he's uh, you know he's had kind of a mad life and lots of mad stuff has happened to a lot I get the impression mainly that he's kind of a pinball himself that's being just batted around and because he doesn't have much of a backbone he's kind of just and like he said you know the, the, she was saying like why did you take that oil deal and he was just saying like well we had no choice we had to just take it mm. so I think lots of stuff is just always happening to Iran and he as the leader is kind of yeah. just saying well you know what can you do alright yeah we'll take that we'll take that okay we'll get invaded and then we'll maybe it's because he at this stage is, is not accountable Mm. to anyone that it's quite an interesting thing to see someone who's a political figure and leader not rather than try and rationalize that bad deal just sort of go yeah it was terrible but what else were we going to do what what do you think his motivation was for doing that interview that's a good question I I was watching it I didn't really understand 
what he was trying to get at. Was he trying to defend himself? Was he trying to defend his country? Was he trying to... And I didn't really... Well, I, a lot of the stuff I've read about him and part of the reason for like inviting all those world leaders to that party and loving Charles de Gaulle was that he had felt that Iran, far from being like the great Persian Empire, had been sort of belittled on the world yeah. stage and wanted to be seen as as one of the world's most powerful men, as a world leader on the stage, on a par with all the other modern mm. leaders. And I, maybe it's something to do with that, like getting out there and speaking and sort of establishing yeah, yeah. himself as the leader of Iran and Iran as an important world player that America and the UK and the West have to listen to mm. and should engage with. Mm. Yeah, no, I agree. There's, I think his main thing is uh, he only did like three interviews that I can find or whatever. That's the most interesting one, that one with the Canadian lady. Mm -hmm. um, he, he later talks in the interview that I didn't quite show you guys. Is, is They're talking about like, uh, you know, what if America invaded you and he's saying, like, oh, you wouldn't dare and stuff like that. It's really interesting because it's a very... Um, it comes across as quite honest. Mm. He comes across as quite a, uh, you know, he's not... I painted him in many ways or his Wikipedia that I copied <laughs> paints him in a, a, a way that's like you know he's like a pretender and he's a, you know he's always trying to fill in his dad's footsteps or whatever but he comes across as a guy who like you know knows the ins and outs of his country he's not some idiot that's mm. like just getting <laughs> every night yeah like, uh, like well, he probably was also doing that at one point <laughs> may maybe just that one year Kieran <laughs> that he spent in Rome but the rest of the time in Persia with his well, wives like, I, 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 something I read he had a, like a private secretary or, or whatever his assistant was who would like fly him in like European women particularly like tall blonde women and they'd just fly him in like mistresses and oh, stuff yeah. he was he, I don't think he ever stopped Carousing. No, no, he mm. liked he liked the mistresses for sure. Because yeah. tall ones. He liked tall yeah. mistresses mm. because I think he was trying. He probably well, he sees tall as attractive, mm. and also he's probably trying to get a tall son. Mm. You'd imagine because his first few marriages just produced daughters, I think, and he was just like immediately he was like, nah, not this yeah. is not. As soon as the daughter's born, he's like, this is not going to work for me. Mm. This marriage, but um, you know, he's a product of his time, mm. and and he will be missed <laughs> <laughs> by you specifically. Yeah, no, yeah, some people in the comment yeah. section in YouTube. Yeah. There's lots of supposed Iranians going well, like, part of the, oh, yeah. I wish we had the Shah back. Part, part of the protests, because you know, yeah. there were protests before the plane went down because mm. of people standing up to the regime mm. and more protests after. Yeah. And there is sort of people are reporting that mm. people going, ah, oh, you know what, it was actually much better than yeah. this yeah. when we had the Shah. I know we were saying it was awful, yeah. but actually in hindsight... It is a little bit worse now. Well, there's, I mean, Iran, and we were kind of saying this at the beginning, is Iran's a, not a strange country, but it, it's, it's like, it's very different to a lot of countries in that region in that it has a very young, educated, middle class sort of population in some ways. Like, yeah. it's, I think, you know, a lot of people in the West would, have, would paint it as a sort of third world country that is just everyone sitting around waiting to bomb America. But it's not at all. There's a, like a really educated class that has access to the internet and access to education and all these things. Yeah. Before that, when the military, uh, the sorry, nuclear deals, initial ones were going through that Trump rolled back, 
there was a huge amount of modernization going on there. Uh, and a lot of European and American brands going in as well in terms of sort of retail and things like that. So, you know, the people there aren't, they're not unaware of what people think of Iran externally and, and the situation they're in in some ways, which actually probably lines up with what the Shah was saying. As he said, he seems very aware of what the perception is externally. Yeah. And as Ke- I think Kieran was saying, there's like so much of that uh, basically like uni grad mm. Iran was responsible for the revolution. Yeah. Because there was pretty much uh, students that took the embassy by themselves mm. in 79. Yeah, it was all students, yeah. yeah. It was pretty much a student-led. Yeah. That part of the revolution was student-led. And it was just, um, from what I can understand, Ayatollah Khomeini kind of came back and he was like, yeah, yeah, f*** America. And, and because of that fervor mm. that Ayatollah kind of landed with, is why, they, to, is why they took the embassy. I think I was reading something about these protests and, and someone saying that they don't really have a you a figure to unite behind. There's no leader, and so it's kind of just patchy. Yeah. And the first revolution had obviously lots of different elements and different groups who didn't like the Shah for different reasons, but Khomeini managed to emerge as a charismatic, well, like articulate um, sort of figure to sort of some people to rally behind and other people to sort of be forced behind because of the influence he'd gained. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, that sort of contributes to success, I suppose. Isn't that kind of what leadership is? It's kind of ability to both inspire and corral people, yeah. I suppose, is probably that he had the right combination of both. So in terms of, uh, you, you know, the Iranian leaders, I'm, I'm sticking behind the Shah. Mm-hmm. Who are you to close the podcast off? Which, which <laughs> in terms of Shah versus Ayatollah, Shah Ayatollah Mossadegh, the first Shah. Grudge you can, match. You can have whoever you want. What was the the Qajar dynasty? I mean, I don't. <laughs> no, no one got that far. Yeah, let's, back. let's revert no. back to 1919. We might as well just by process of elimination. We'll so go I'm, back going, to I'm going with Cyrus the Great. Yeah, sure. I, I, I he was tall. Yeah, I, I <laughs> certainly was, would have been great. In, apparently, I certainly would have been interested to find out what would have happened under Mossadegh's rule had he not been not, de- not interfered had, had it not been interfered by America and killed the you know ascent of democracy yeah. to be honest and why I don't want to raise a huge point this late in the podcast because we are saying goodbye now but um, you know sometimes we say you know oh it's oil about oil as if it's frivolous like oil does matter doesn't it because well, we, can, yeah. we can't let oil fall into bad hands well, kind of it happened because it, it's uh, this is a podcast Kieran come on <laughs> simplify like bad guys there's good guys and bad guys we like to think that we're the good guys if bad guys get oil they'll be able to you know how ISIS were able to recruit a bunch of people and stuff they did that with to some extent with oil money hmm. yeah oil's important the, what I have in my head is that uh, in Nigeria you know Boko Haram hmm. they occupy large parts of the north of Nigeria and it would be catastrophic, again, this is what I have in my head, it would be catastrophic if they took parts of southern Nigeria. That's what the government is saying, like, okay, you can have the north, but you're not having the south, because that's where all the oil is. And if they got their hands on oil, it would be catastrophic for Nigeria and then for whatever Boko Haram would wreak havoc on from there. So, to some extent, you know, I sympathize with Iran getting kicked around a lot, but also, from an American point of view, if I was America, I'd want to control where the oil is as well, because I don't want it falling in. Mm-hmm. How does that link into what will happen between America and Iran going forward, though? Because America now has a whole 
extra vein of oil because they're getting into fracking and shale gas. Yeah. So maybe they're not so reliant on foreign oil. No, so does, not does, so does, does that mean yeah. that Trump will be less inclined to get involved in Middle Eastern countries on the basis of oil or not? Well, oh I mean, not, I don't even think this one was about oil. What, the, the modern one? Yeah, like yeah this. no, no, I, no, I agree. Oh, this one isn't about oil, no, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Uh, but um, oil is still valuable. So to the extent in which you're stopping nations and parties mm. like Boko Haram mm. getting their hands on it, and they don't want to risk like ISIS getting their hands on a ton of oil. Yeah. So it's still important to them in that sense. But yeah. not not this crisis as much with Iran. This this crisis is more of a measuring contest. Yeah, to, to, to the extent to which I, or anyone, or even Trump understands his own foreign policy when it comes <laughs> to the Middle East, uh, it seems to be kind of stay as far away from the Middle East as possible, but occasionally show them that America's not going to do nothing if they step out of line. Yeah. So, like, you know, blowing up a, you know, a, a high-ranking general who is, by all accounts, not a great guy. Let, let's, you know, let's be it's honest about it. It's about time you said so, Harry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think anyone's claiming that he's, a, he's a, you know, should win a human rights award uh, is, is not an indication that Trump wants to get deeper into, you know, involved in, in Iranian foreign policy or domestic policy, as it were. No, no. Uh, it's just kind of saying, you know, we're here. Don't don't forget about us. We'll we'll take action if we have to. Yeah, I think it's more Trump just flexing. Is, he's just saying, look, we wanted him dead, so he's dead. So toe our, toe our line mm. or you'll be dead. It's pretty much as simple as that. Obama and, and Bush both had a chance to take him out and kind of step back and went, oh, no, yeah. maybe this will inflate. But you know how everyone's saying like, oh, I can't believe that Trump did this, blah, 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 blah. Mm. The fact that Obama and Bush both at least on some level considered taking him out mm. tells me like it's not a, an insane move. No. Like it's it's a it's a move it's a big move. But I mean, it's probably one of those things it's a that bold move. Blow any up. president would have probably had to consider because inevitably your intelligence agencies and yeah. chiefs of staff are going to present it to you as an option. Yeah, and go, well, we could do this. Yeah, yeah. if you want. Yeah, and then it's the president's yeah, job to go. Mm, nah, this isn't him firing out a tweet at two a.m. saying I'm going to yeah. take out him. This isn't him blowing up the Ayatollah, for example. That that would be. I'd be a, interested to know if he knew who he was the morning before. The yeah, break. yeah, yeah. Or if he was just <laughs> yeah. a name on on a hit list. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, that guy. Wait, what? oh hang on. Okay. Well, and, and then they said, you know, Obama okay. and Bush, they didn't have the b- to take this guy out. It's <laughs> <laughs> basically how, how they were just pushing it to him. Yeah. But also, you know, then the intelligence are giving them that for a reason. Like, the intelligence aren't just psychopaths either. The, psych- the, wow. the intelligence are saying, like, hey, this would be bold, but yeah, if you did this, again, it would be beneficial their to Their job us. is a lot more objective and black and white is to go, mm. what are the threats and risks? Yeah. And then how do we stop them? Yeah. And then they don't have to think politically and sort <laughs> of legalistically. They go, well, you, this is the problem. These are the solutions. These are the tactics. You decide what's right and wrong because mm-hmm. that's your job. We're the how-to guys. Yeah, this is how-to. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I don't know. Maybe for, uh, Trump is probably not so inclined to say no because you know it's domestically good for him and his image as a tough guy. So they present you look. Is a problem and a threat, and we've got a tough guy solution to it mm-hmm. for him in an upcoming yeah, election cycle. There's, I think it, it it might be more open to sort of tough guy solutions yeah. like that to just say yes rather than Obama and Bush who don't need that or didn't need that same image 
But I don't think, uh, yeah, yeah, I think a, a lot of it is to do with Trump's image. But I don't necessarily think that, A, that that's a bad thing. You know, to have an image as a, to have a I mean, tough separately guy. from assassinations, no, having an image is is fine. Well, everyone has an image, yeah. But <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, did, I don't think it's bad for America to have a tough guy image, and and you know to to act according to you know maintaining that image. Well, it's that age old question of like you know, uh, you know, it, and it's it depends on how people ask it, but like, should America be like the world's police force? Yeah. And like some people say that in a sort of like, you know, rhetorical, of course they shouldn't, they don't have that right. And some people say it in a kind of, well, yeah, obviously, if you've got the most money and the most kind of cultural and, you know, financial capital and mm-hmm. the biggest army, then of course you should be the world's police force because there's some inalienable rights yeah. and wrongs. Yeah. Um, you know, it just depends which way you come down on it, I guess. We don't, I, I would say they should, but also we don't want to get Should, it. yeah. Well, they so, should so, be the world police, but also <laughs> we're saying goodbye now, yeah, so... Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but wasn't that wasn't that nice? Eh? We, did, we, did, we didn't have a massive argument. We were just kind of discussing it rationally. This is a thing that happened, but isn't Iran bloody interesting? Can't we all it's agree? Right. Yeah. I mean, we barely got to the revolution. No, we arrived. We arrived in 1979 and went, and then the revolution happened. And <laughs> went, oh, bye, everyone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> didn't even get into like well, Saddam Hussein. We sh- mentioned uh, in a podcast about Iran. We mentioned Ali Khamenei. Three times. Yeah. <laughs> it's very the most significant figure yeah. in recent Iranian history. Well, that's because Ben loves the Shah so much. Yeah. He took up all Look, the, the all Shah the is nice. infinitely more interesting, in my opinion. That's, come on, the Shah is interesting. It certainly had a more, I think, a more storied life than yeah. Ali Khamenei. Yeah. Yeah. What am I going to say about Khamenei? Like, yeah. oh, he's thought the same thing for fifty years. Yeah. <laughs> he never had a big party with Orson Welles, did he? No, no to be honest, no. God. Well, because he was dead by then. But but regardless, <laughs> yeah, good old Orson Welles. But, uh, I mean, you know, I'm not worried. Are you guys worried? No, I, I certainly nah. don't think we'll be getting draft cards through. So what you're saying is we don't need to keep an eye on them. Is that what you... <laughs> definitely. <laughs> definitely always keep an eye on them. Someone should, and, but yeah. it's not us three. But because we're... Well, it should never be us three. It should be Wikipedia, and then I'll relay that information to the listeners. No, no, I'm saying uh, always keep an eye on them. And because we always have an eye on them, we shouldn't be worried. Because we will always have an eye on them. What an absolute fudge. (laughs) (laughs) What I'm saying is, what I've been trying to say over the last hour and a half is, I was right. We should have been keeping an eye on Iran. A heavy-handed tactic is what clearly Trump listened to my podcast. I mean, a heavy-handed tactic was... Surely the, the reason that there was a crisis. <laughs> well, it, seemed like, it seemed like in, in the that year... That wasn't the solution. That in was which the, part? That was the spark in, 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 that ignited all of the problems. What do you mean? Which crisis in Iran's story? Oh, the, re- the one that... Oh, the recent one. The recent one. Okay, yeah, but that's what I'm saying. I was, yeah. I was saying on the podcast we need a heavy-handed approach and Trump clearly heard it. But nothing was happening. Like, well, yeah. if, 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 if this military strike hadn't happened, what would be happening Did you not right hear now? that they captured a, a frigate or something? <laughs> <laughs> what are we going to do about it? <laughs> no, no. I did, uh, I did, you know, I did, as I was kind of saying at the start, although I was learning this morning, like, what led to... I kind of knew that... You always kind of hear on this 
Because when you hear on the news, like, oh, Iran have taken a boat or something. Like minor skirmishes. Yeah, it feels very removed because like, it's a boat. It hasn't even happened on land. Yeah. It's like, you know, all sorts of things happen at sea, you'd imagine. <laughs> like, you've got the captain, like, waving on board saying, hey, how's it going? Nice to see you again. <laughs> captain oh, this, Bird's this, eyes yeah, this, this is yours now, I guess. <laughs> yeah. uh, have you seen Captain Phillips? Yes. No. You haven't seen it? No. no, no, no. Oh, well, we don't want to get into that there. No. Let's uh, move into the movie movie review section. <laughs> no, but what? No, but what, a movie from about very outdated. <laughs> uh, no, but what we're trying to tell our listeners is, don't worry. All this Iran talk, all this World War Three talk, we're going to be fine. Unless you live in Iran, in which case, be worried. Probably have a slight yeah. degree of concern. Keep an eye on it. You might <laughs> say, yeah. What or would, just monitor the situation. Or, or flee. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. WWSD. What would Shah do? He would flee. That's why. <laughs> yeah. So flee. A proven record. Get out of there. Yeah. The track record of both Shahs. Flee. When it's driving your country, go to Paris. He would cut an oil deal that's preferable to himself and his family <laughs> and then move to Paris. Yeah. So, I mean, if we can all just follow that lead. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, goodbye. Goodbye. Yeah, you want to say Chat. Bye. Bye. Bye, everyone. I'm all alone every night. How I moan and how I fight those big city blues. I walk for miles, place to place, but no one smiles to help me chase those big city blues.